0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Biggest Men's Basketball Tournament at Madison Square Garden is officially in the books. And this was the first complete tournament since 2019 to be played in front of full capacity in the world's most famous arena. It, It was a tremendous week. It all came down to arguably the two best teams since realignment. Villanova, obviously, as... The top dog. Clear cut over everybody else. But if there was any team that you could argue has been the second best, it was Creighton. And it was an ugly game, but a great game with a lot of theatrics. Lots of swings and momentum and a lot of clutch plays that made... This championship game, a fitting exclamation point on what was, again, a memorable week and a great return to normalcy, which was a microcosm for all of college basketball, but obviously for the Big East and its storied four-decade relationship with Madison Square Garden. I'll recap the championship game, and oh yeah! We got a bracket out. Not just one, but two. Both the men's and women's March Madness brackets are out. So this is a jam-packed and loaded 200th episode of the Igloo. Now, I wish I had the pomp and circumstance of the 100th. But you know what? I, I think there's a lot of beauty in subtlety. So, I'm going to go back to the roots, a basic episode, but one that's going to be filled with a lot to talk about and a lot of important stuff. So, obviously, we're talking about the Big East Championship game. Creighton and Villanova, Nova, seven-point favorites coming into the night. The over-under is at 128, which, by the way, that's pretty low considering that Creighton and Villanova are known as great shooting teams and they know how to light up the scoreboard. Well, uh, they definitely didn't light up the scoreboard in the first half. And if anything, they were building brick houses on both sides. I guess more like a brick fort. I mean, I don't want to like make like a make like a Fortnite reference, but you know, they're building these brick forts to protect against each other, and it was ugly. It was 19 to 18 at halftime. I would have never guessed that to be the halftime score in a million years between these two teams. And Villanova, there were times where they looked like they were gonna pull away. And a matter of fact, Justin Moore hit a three with 12-20 to go in the game. That made it an eight-point game. Which was Villanova's biggest lead of the night. But Creighton wasn't a team that was going to roll over. And they willed their way back into it. And in fact... They scored 11 of the next 14 points with Trey Alexander knocking down a three that tied the game at 36 about four minutes after that. And you know, Creighton was 0 for 13 from three in the first half. Finally got it going in the second half. Alexander made that three. Villanova jumped back in front on a Gillespie three. Brenner got it down to one and then Alex O'Connell hit a three, and that gave Creighton the lead, which was only the second time they had led the entire game. And they held their biggest lead at four points on an alley-oop from Alexander to Kalkbrenner. That sent the minority of the crowd Supporting Creighton into a frenzy. I mean, the way I would characterize the split, it was probably like 80-20. But Villanova, again, they're a veteran group. Well-balanced. Disciplined. They would not go away. They would not falter at the expense of the Creighton Blue Jays. And as a matter of fact, they scored the next five points with Caleb Daniels hitting a three to put Nova back up by a point with 4.08 to go. And then Creighton jumped back out in front of Ryan Kalkbrenner continuing his dominance. But then that's when the man took charge. And that guy was Colin Gillespie. He didn't come back to Villanova for no reason at all. He came back to reclaim a Big East championship and to help take his team back to where he was in his freshman year back in 2018 when his team, when he's part of a team that won the national championship, the second for Villanova in three years, and arguably the greatest shooting team in the history of college basketball. And Gillespie just took over. Two huge threes. In the span of 40 seconds. That made a one point deficit into a five point Nova lead. And that the second three, yeah you could tell. That was the dagger. And Villanova claims another Big East tournament title. Their fifth. In the last seven years, they went 54 to 48. It wasn't pretty, but Villanova gets the job done. And no surprise, Gillespie is your biggest tournament, most outstanding player. He scores 17 points in the title game, seven rebounds, five assists, five of thir- 14 from the floor, three for eight from behind the arc. Justin Moore added 16 points on five of 15 shooting and three for eight from behind the arc. So those two guys really carried the Wildcats in this one. 33 of their 54 points. Brandon Slater, Jermaine Samuels, each with 5 points. Eric Dixon with 4. And Caleb Daniels played 35 minutes off the bench, only scoring 7 points. But he did hit that big 3 that gave Villanova a 44-43 advantage with about 4 minutes to go. But he was 3 for 8 from the floor, 1 for 6 from deep. Villanova, you know, the last time they played Creighton, which was way back on January 5th, they blew them out. They won by 34 at Finner and Pavilion. And the funny thing was, the the last time they met before that, December 17th, which, ironically enough, was the first Big East Conference game of the entire season, so it's only appropriate that the last game of the Big East Conference season for the championship is between those same two teams. Creighton won by 20 in Omaha. And for Jay Wright, obviously happy to win. But in a rock fight like this, definitely made it all the more special. And one thing I love about Jay Wright, I know it may seem a little pretentious, condescending, but if you get to be in the same room as him, I know the tweets would seem condescending when he congratulates teams and, you know, says good game and all that stuff on Twitter, even after a 30-plus point blowout. But in a situation like this, when you hear it in his voice, it's real. Here's what Jay Wright said to open his press conference following their championship victory. First of all,
1: I, I say look, what a, a great job Creighton did all year. Losing was a point guard, all freshman, first-year guy, Hawkins. Um, coach McDermott is, he could be, if, if, Ed, if, if Ed Cooley didn't do such a great job, he should coach the year. It's just unbelievable. They're a team that, they're a good team, they can make a run, man. They can make a run in the tournament too. I like where, I like where our league is going into this tournament. And uh, secondly, I, I, I want to just say how, how blessed we all think we are to play here, be a part of this Big East at Madison Square Garden. If you guys are here, you watch it, man, there's nothing like this. this is, playing the game is awesome, man. but doing it in here uh, with, with these fans and at this storied arena is just off the charts. So, sorry for the soliloquy, but uh, a, great, a great college basketball game. And there's two really good defensive teams. You know, Creighton's always known for being a great offensive team, but this team is, is a very good defensive team. You saw what they did to Providence, and um, we just we just couldn't score. And we just had to grind it out and, uh, and tough it out defensively and then make some big plays at the end, which Collin did, and Justin Moore had a great one to finish it off. I think that was the key to the game.
0: And on the other side of things, Creighton head coach Greg McDermott You could hear it in his voice and being there in person. You could see it on his face. That loss stung. Considering how well they played defensively and the fact that they held Nova to 33% from the floor. 25% from deep. And holding the 54 points as a whole, you would think they would have won. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. So here's how Greg McDermott opened his post-game press conference. Obviously a much different tone than that of what you just heard from Jay Wright. As I just
2: told the team, obviously we're disappointed we lost. Uh, I'm not sure I would be any more proud of them having won. You know, some of the some of the best shooters in the world. We've got Kyle over here tonight. He's one of the best shooters in NBA history, and he missed about fifty eight percent of his threes. And tonight, I I thought we had some pretty good looks at the basket, and uh, we didn't make it. And obviously, Villanova's defense needs to be credited. You know, once we started going inside out, I thought we got some of what we wanted. And uh, then at the end, we got Gillespie. Uh, you know, we wanted to try to make him make shots off the dribble, and, and he had a huge three off the dribble out of that timeout, uh, going to his left hand, and that's just a, that's an all-American play. But uh, a month ago, or six weeks ago, my team would not have been able to have a shooting night like we had tonight, and stay in the game against an elite team like Villanova. Um, that's how much we've grown. We've grown to the point that we understand that there's going to be nights the ball doesn't go in the basket. And you've got to find other ways. And you know, we held Villanova to 33% shoot. Most times, that's going to be good enough. Uh, but tonight, it wasn't. So, really, really proud of my team. I congratulate Coach Wright and Villanova. I mean, they're the they're the gold standard in this league. Uh, you know, we've, we've won a lot of games uh, during our time in the Big East, um, second most to them, and I hope we've gotten to the point where the Big East just is in a northeastern league. Uh, there's some pretty good basketball played in the Midwest as well.
0: But you know what? Despite a tough loss, I mean, you can't not commend the effort from Creighton. Especially, considering Villanova's not a big team. Guys who are the size of Ryan Kalkbrenner do not succeed a lot. And on this particular night, Ryan Kalkbrenner was dominant. 19 points, 8 rebounds, 8 of 11 from the field, and 3 for 4 from the charity stripe. Again, Villanova basically plays five out. Well, at bare minimum four out, but they can play five out. And Cockbrenner, he's he's known to shoot from time to time from the outside. Again, it's very seldom does he do, does he actually do it. But he's not really one to step outside and defend. He's not really one to step outside on offense, except to set screens and then roll, roll to the basket. Most of his points come from close in. He got a lot of points close in. He's a big dude who could literally just drop the ball right in the basket. And he had it going for Creighton in this game. And at times, he looked like the only source of offense. So... Yeah, it was no surprise that he was an All-Big East tournament selection. And, you know, the other guys that made the All-Big East tournament team, Justin Moore of Villanova, Arthur Kaluma, Kalkbrenner's teammate with Creighton, and then rounding it out, you also had Al Durham from Providence, Tyrese Martin of UConn. But here's what Ryan Browner had to say about what specifically was working for him in this ball game. Ryan, usually, you know, when you play a, a smaller team like Villanova where, you know, they can go outside, a guy like Dixon can, you know, be able to play outside, you were still able to really score inside at Well, I mean, you almost had 20 tonight. You know, what was working? I know you obviously got the size advantage, but, you know, from a versatility standpoint, what was working for you to beat them and score almost at will? I think that's just
1: Coach put me in a lot of good positions to get the ball. And my teammates trust me to go get the ball when they pass it. So they know that even if I'm kind of open, they'll put it up there and let me go get it. So they just trust me to be able to make some space and go get the ball, I guess.
0: So as for the rest of the Blue Jays, Alex O'Connell – only other Blue Jay double figures. 10 points, 4 of 13 from the floor, 2 of 11 from deep. 9 points, 12 rebounds for Arthur Kaluma, who was another all biggies tournament guy. Trey Alexander, 8 points. Didn't really shoot the ball well. 2 for 10 from the floor, 1 of 6 from deep. 5 boards, a couple assists. But. He played all 40 minutes, and he didn't turn it over once. Pretty good for a guy stepping in for the Big East Freshman of the Year, who's also a freshman. And by the way, Ryan Hawkins. Another tough night shooting the ball. 1 for 10 from the floor and 0 for 5 from deep. Just 2 points and 8 rebounds. And then neither Keyshawn Fiesel nor Roddy androni Koshvili scored off the bench. But... Obviously, the guys they got talked about the most were Brenner, O'Connell, and Kaluma. But the guy I was concerned about was the fact that, well, Trey Alexander played all 40 minutes. May not have shot the ball well, but he didn't turn it over once as a freshman who isn't the traditional starting point guard. Obviously, that job was held by Ryan Nemhard before he had that season-ending wrist injury. So, of course, naturally, I asked Coach Mack about the play of Trey Alexander. Here's what he had to say. Coach, can you just talk about the play of Trey Alexander? I mean, you know, obviously, no one, he didn't shoot the ball well, but no one really did tonight. But the fact that, you know, he still had 8-5-5 five, and five, and 0 turnovers, how impressed were you with him going the distance and playing that efficiently? Uh, I've
2: been incredibly impressed with Trey. Uh, he's walked into a unique... In very difficult situation with the injury to to Um uh, and he hasn't blinked. Uh, he's played he's played great basketball here. His play last night in the second half uh, was outstanding. Obviously, he was big against Marquette as well. Uh, you know, he and he plays both ends of the floor. You know, it's uh, I trust him to guard Colin Gillespie, and uh, that's that says everything you need to know. Um, I, I believe in his ability to do that. Colin's a heck of a player, and, and he forced him into some tough shots tonight. Uh, but you know, sometimes good offense beats good defense, and in a couple of those plays, that was the case. But Trey's been, Trey's been terrific, and uh, a big reason that we were able to overcome uh, really a could be a season-ending season-ending for your team injury when you lose someone as good as Nembhard. Um, the fact that the next man up was Trey Alexander and he was ready is the reason our name will be called tomorrow night.
0: Well, in only the most appropriate transition that I could possibly conceive. Let's move on to what we know now. Selection Sunday. The men's bracket was revealed first with the men's selection show starting at 6 o'clock over on CBS. So, I kind of had this feeling after everything was all said and done for Every single conference tournament. Once the last game wrapped up, eh, a little after 5.30. I had this feeling like, okay, six teams from the Big East will get in. Xavier shot themselves in the foot at the end of the season. Just like they did last year and the year before that. And we're going to be on the outside looking in. And I was right. And that's what happened. Six teams have made the NCAA tournament. And these were the draws for all of these teams. UConn was the first team off the board. They are your five seed in the West region. And they're going to be close to home as they will begin their road to a To the Final Four, potentially. Obviously, 68 teams. Obviously, the road is to the Final Four. But only one can be crowned national champion. And the Huskies were the first team to hear their name called. Five seed in the West. And they will begin their road to the Final Four against New Mexico State. We all know... The narrative surrounding 12-5 games. And New Mexico State is a rather dangerous 12 seed. However, they haven't won a tournament game since 2014. The Huskies, the last time they won the national championship, they began their road to the title in Buffalo, strangely enough. I'm definitely not going to imply that they will go to the national championship and win it, based on that. But I would say it's at least certainly a good omen. So, again, UConn in the West region as the five seed, opening up with New Mexico State champions of the whack. Now, who was the next team to hear their name called? Well, two teams in the South region. The first one to hear their name called was Seton Hall, who got the eighth seed in the South region, and they're going to head to sunny San Diego to take on ninth seed TCU out of the Big 12. This is an interesting matchup because TCU beat Georgetown in D.C. and kind of struggled with them. And Seton Hall struggled with Georgetown not once, not twice, but three times this season. So at least they got that in common in terms of just the overall struggles with Georgetown. Interesting matchup. I think it very it very well could favor Seton Hall. And again, they haven't won a tournament game, and they haven't. So they haven't been to the tournament since 2019. They were going to make it in 2020 before COVID wiped it out. Missed it last year altogether. 2019, they made the tournament, lost to Wofford in the first round, and then in 2018, that was the last time they won a tournament game. And by the way, that year was Miles Kale's freshman year, playing on a team that had Cadine Carrington. Ishmael Sonogo, Desi Rodriguez, Angel Delgado, all as seniors. And I, myself, was a senior at the time. So, there's a good... I think there's a very good chance Miles Cal is going to start and end his career with a win in the NCAA tournament. Or by... I should say, or by winning at least one NCAA tournament game. And... The big thing is, with a win, 99% chance that they'll draw the number two overall seed in the tournament, number one seed in the region, Arizona. Champions of the Pac-12. And by the way, Yukon being in Buffalo, obviously they're geographically close, but they're they got a good draw, too, because the fourth seed in that region is Arkansas out of the SEC, who Got dominated by Texas A&M, and by the way, Texas A&M got left out, which I think that was bogus. But yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty favorable draw, if you ask me. So, I mean, just looking on the surface, yeah, UConn they got a chance to make a run at of Sweet Sixteen. And then the other team to hear their name called in the South Region, going to the bottom half of that bracket, Villanova, the Big East tournament champions, they're two seed, taking on 15th seed Delaware, led by former Villanova forward Dylan Painter, who was on the 2017 Big East championship squad that was the number one overall seed in that year's tournament. So yeah, it'll be an interesting little reunion. And that will be in Pittsburgh. And I think they got a pretty good draw with that right right above them. Ohio State is your 7th seed. Loyola Chicago is your 10th seed. So and given just how the bottom half of that bracket looks for Nova, a very good chance that they'll make it to the Elite Eight. Now, two teams have their name called in the Midwest, starting with Creighton, the runner-up of the Big East Tournament. They are your ninth seed in the Midwest, taking on eighth seed San Diego State, who is the runner-up in the Mountain West. Interesting matchup. I mean, I think it's a fun matchup. You know, just think of the head coaching matchup. It's Greg McDermott against Brian Dutcher. And Dutcher was a longtime assistant under former Michigan and then later on San Diego State head coach, the great Steve Fisher. It'll be a good coaching matchup. I think it's a good matchup overall because both of these teams are very interesting. I mean, I don't want to make a prediction, but I mean, the 9-8 game is something that you're going to hear, again, you already heard it with one team already and you're going to hear with it. Hear about it with another later on. And the one seed in their region is Kansas. Big 12 champs. Maybe they can get a little bit of of revenge from their loss in Lawrence a year ago. Where they essentially lost on a missed free throw by Marcus Zagorowski. Very well could be. And then right below them, regular season champion Providence, who Creighton dominated in the Big East semifinal, they get your four seed. They get go, they go to Buffalo. By the way, Creighton's going to Fort Worth for their opening matchup. Well, for, for the opening weekend, I should say. Providence is going to stay relatively close. They're, they're going to go to Buffalo. And they're going to take on arguably the most dangerous 13th seed in the entire tournament. South Dakota State coming in at 30 and four. I mean, they are a well oiled machine and a deep team as well. And boy, do they know how to score the rock. They were averaging nearly 87 a game. And from the field, for the entire season, they're shooting over 50%. And nearly 45% from behind the arc. That's incredible. Providence isn't really known as a three-point shooting team. And you could definitely tell by that because of the fact that their anchor is Nate Watson. And he's a center. So Providence is the, is is the four seed in that region. Haven't won a tournament game since 2016. Haven't reached the Sweet 16 since 1997. And right above them in their regional. As I'm going to find it right here. Is... Red Hot Big Ten Tournament Champion, Iowa. I mean, the Hawkeyes are hot. They're legit. So. Providence could be in big trouble just from the first round. And if they get by that, they could be even even bigger trouble in the second round. If they draw Iowa. And then... The last team, and then, as I nearly lose my train of thought, the last team to hear their name called. A 9-8 matchup in the East region. And that game will be in Fort Worth. Marquette, your nine seed, against 8th seed, North Carolina. And, my goodness gracious, this could have been really... First of all, they met in a... We in a s in a game that was scheduled super late. I mean, they scheduled it because both teams just happen to have an opening in their schedule. So yeah, they're like, Oh yeah. Well, yeah, we'll play down in Chapel Hill. And Marquette smoked them. And what could have made this even more awkward, Marquette transferred Dawson Garcia is now a Carolina. But thankfully, I mean not and also not so thankfully, um He had a family emergency, so he was out for the rest of the year because of the fact that, you know, he had to go all the way back to Minnesota to attend to this emergency. Again, I wish Dawson Garcia the best. I really do. And, I mean, just in general, I mean, this is a rematch, man. 1977 National Championship game. And it's a rematch 45 years in the making. Pretty cool. And... Right above them, the top seed in that region is Baylor, who narrowly got that last number one seed. And, you know, that's the reigning national champion right there. So that was what happened on the men's side. On the women's side, I was really worried. I'm not going to lie. And the reason why I say that is because I just kept asking myself, is the Women's Selection Committee going to respect the Big East enough to give them the number of bids that they were deserving of? We all know they were getting at least one. And I knew at the bare minimum at least two would make it. They deserve four. And I was hoping that they'd respect them enough to give them three. Well, guess what happened? Four. Four teams heard their name. So it's about damn time. The first team to hear their name called was, oddly enough, a bubble team. And that was DePaul. And by the way, first... NCAA women's tournament to be under the March Madness banner, and the first with a sixty-eight team format. And DePaul was the first biggest team to hear their name called Which I was a I was a little sh- worried about them, given how they finished the season and the fact that they got blown out by twenty in their last game in the biggest quarterfinals last week. But DePaul narrowly makes it in. In the Greensboro region, in a in one of the first ever women's first four games, they're an 11th seed in that region, taking on Dayton in a first four game, which will take place in Ames, Iowa, Hilton Coliseum. And, I mean, this Dayton team... Good team. Good team. I mean, who's going to have the best player on the court? More likely than not, it's probably going to be DePaul with Anisa Morrow. So, yeah, that's definitely an interesting matchup. And that will be on Wednesday at 9 o'clock on ESPNU. Now. The second team to hear their name called also in the Greensboro Regional on Friday. And this will take place in Iowa City at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. Crane is your 10th seed in that region. They're taking on 7th seed Colorado. And by the way, Colorado, familiar with the Big East. They've already faced and beaten Marquette. That was back in December. So, I mean, this is going to be an interesting game. Creighton's a better team than Marquette. I think there's a very good chance, especially being in Iowa City, that they can get a really good home court advantage. I think Creighton fans that support the program, I think they're gonna show out. I mean, I don't want to make all my picks on the spot, but Yeah, I, I kinda have my inklings initially about where each team's gonna how each team's gonna do and and all that jazz. So Still haven't figured out a tip time yet. I mean, I'll have all the information, you know... Sooner rather than later. I know the men's have their information out. um, But I want to, you know, hold that off until it gets closer. Just so it's fresher in your memories. But then again, you all have the power of having a phone at your hand, So you can literally look this shit up yourself. Obviously one of the most important points was, all right, where's UConn going to be seated? and where are they going to be sent? Well, they got exactly what they wanted. A two seed in the Bridgeport Regional. And they will open up against 15th seeded Mercer, champions of the Southern Conference. And right above them, is an all sunshine state matchup between UCF and Florida. And by the way, you know, the winner between DePaul and Dayton would draw, as I'm trying to pull this up, and I bingo, the winner would get Georgia. At Hilton Coliseum. And then the Creighton, Colorado winner... Most likely would get Caitlin Clark in Iowa. So, last but not least... The one team... As the the reveal went on... I started to get a little bit worried. I'm like, if they leave this team out... I'm going to be livid. And that was Villanova. Obviously, their net doesn't look good. But then again, the net really isn't... an It shouldn't be the end-all, be-all. It shouldn't be that one metric that... the committee's codependent on. But Villanova does get in. They're going to go to Ann Arbor. And they're going to take on a very good 6-seed, BYU. A team that's 26-3, and three, and they were going to be in no matter what. But the fact that they lost in the West Coast Conference Final against Gonzaga, who stole the auto bid from them. Oh. As BYU team's going to be hungry, but Villanova knows a thing or two about where they're going to be playing, is because it's going to be Chrysler Arena in Ann Arbor. You know, they faced Michigan in the WNIT before. And, I mean, listen, Gina Wariema said, you know, I would love to see Villanova take on either a middle-of-the-pack team from a Power 5 conference or a team like a BYU or a Gonzaga, so on and so forth. Well, he well, didn't mention those specifically, but, you know, like, just you can talk about a conference like that's got teams that arguably may not have deserved to get in. I mean, let's talk about like the Summit League, for example. Like a mid-major conference where, you know, there were multiple contenders for a for a bid, and not just the auto bid. And the West Coast Conference is one of them, with BYU obviously as the top dog. Didn't win the conference tournament, Gonzaga did, and they got an at-large. But I'm telling you, Maddie Segrist, I think, will be the best player on the court in this game. I really believe that deep down in my heart. And, obviously, I don't want to make my pick, but, I mean, in this kind of matchup, I mean, I think it's a bit of a toss-up, but at the same time, you know, with Segrist on the court, I mean, Villanova should have a fighting chance against any and all opponents. And that includes UConn, who I know they just got blown, who just blew them out by 30 a week ago, but they still beat them in Hartford. I know there were certain circumstances that caused it, but still, if you got Matty Segrist, you got a chance to win the ball game. Period. So, shout out to the committee for getting that right. Kudos to them. So, that's where we stand. And I think I'm just about as happy as everyone else is, the fact that we have brackets for both men's and women's college basketball. And the fact that now the women have something equal. 68-team field, and they get to call it March Madness. They deserve it. They've earned it. And this might be the best March Madness yet. And I really, I promise you, I'm not saying it just for promotional reasons or just to, you know, unnecessarily hype it up and be cheesy and all that stuff. So... I really believe this could be the best March Madness we've ever seen, especially with on the women's side where there's so much parity now that even though there are a lot of good teams that can have a very good chance of winning it all, like South Carolina and Stanford, and obviously UConn, Louisville, NC State, Baylor. The list goes on and on. It's going to be a march to remember. Especially because this is the first tournament where it won't be like last year where it's in a bubble. First time since 2019. Three years since it's been normal, quote-unquote, again. And I'm just really grateful that we have this now. And I hope that all of you listening share that same sentiment with me. That does it for this episode of the Igloo I mean, the fact that I'm even at number 200. I said this at 100 last year. Couldn't be more grateful then. Couldn't be more grateful now. Especially to all of the followers that I've gained, especially over the last couple of months. I've realized how valuable of a tool Twitter spaces are. I mean, they're great for, you know, building, following, building a good following, number one. But number two, you get to meet some bomb-ass people. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that I want to shout out specifically. And specifically from UConn. I mean, just looking at the amount of followers that have picked up recently. And I'm going to find this. So. First off, Mr. Hotballs. I mean that's that's my dude right there I mean big Larry forearm is another guy I've come to love and appreciate Abby's another one had to shout her out Sebesh. I mean I mean again these are just guys that I know I've talked to um Hot sauce, big slick, a name I can't say with a straight face, Lumpy Dumper, (laughs) who is a Providence fan. Uh, My guy Cody, who I met at the Big East tournament. And uh, it's really cool getting to meet a bunch of other people. That I've seen on Biggie's Twitter at the Biggie's Tournament. I mean, Thomas Cavanaugh, I mean, obviously I saw him at Media Day, but also got to see him in person as well at the Biggie's Tournament. Same with, you know, like, hell, even people that I've had on my show before. Like Chris Bello, Michael Zab- Michael Zabo from WSU Radio, along with uh, Thomas Cavanaugh. Henry Breitemeyer from the Butler Collegian. Met him, and I got to sit next to him for uh, Wednesday, Thursday, when Butler was in action. Like, just actually meeting these people after talking to them virtually, pretty damn cool experience. So, for all of you that have just joined me or have subscribed to my podcast or followed me on social media, I really do appreciate it. I mean, I really don't want that to go unnoticed or for that to seem like I'm faking it and that it's just me just being cordial and this being a formality. No. I genuinely appreciate it. Because, I mean, I think it's just, maybe it's a generalization, but I think all of us in some way, shape, or form currently struggle or have struggled with self-esteem issues. And having that kind of tight-knit community amongst all of you Big East fans, like myself, pretty damn awesome. And I really do consider a lot of you, like like family, like my Big East family. And I genuinely appreciate every single one of you. And I hope you know I mean that from the bottom of my heart, and I hope that doesn't go unnoticed by any of y'all listening to this. Again, thanks for following me, subscribing, tuning into all these episodes, and getting me to this point, episode number two hundred of of the igloo. Again, I started this podcast two and a half years ago now. Did I think I'd get to two hundred? Maybe this quickly, no, because obviously things change and I expanded my coverage to the women's side as well and that was easily the best decision I could have ever made. It's paid dividends and just the networking and all that. I just couldn't be more grateful for the opportunities I've received and the people I've met because of this show and because of the Big East. Y'all rock. Never change. Thanks for tuning in. Be kind to one another. Be kind to yourself. And I'll catch you next time here on the Igloo.